From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Hispanic Heritage Month runs September 15th to October 15th. It is a time to celebrate how people with roots in Spanish-speaking countries add to the complex narrative of the American story. Sometimes it's pop culture, like this song, Despacito. Justin Bieber's remix of Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee's reggaeton hit. Food, fashion, architecture, art, and the Spanish language itself are all essential to the American mix, as are the teachers and doctors and families whose contributions grab less attention than athletes and movie stars. Well, we are focusing on those stories today in Georgia. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates about 10% of the state population identifies as Hispanic or Latinx, along with its share of tension and debate and even xenophobia in response to this diversity. We've invited some guests today to help us mark Hispanic Heritage Month. Mario Guevara is senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico. Hello. Hello, how are you? Very well. Happy to have you with us. Jerry Gonzalez, founder and executive director of Galeo. That's the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials. Hello. Hello, great to be here. Also with us, Nuri Castillo-Crawford, Director of the Hispanic Program for Gwinnett County Schools. Hello there, Nuri. Good morning. And Brenda Lopez-Romero, State Representative for District 99 in Gwinnett County. Thank you so much for being here. Always happy to visit. Okay, so we've got so much to unpack here. But on second thought, let's just say broadcast statewide. So I do want to welcome the listeners in Walker and Lauren and Seminole and other counties with small populations that do identify as Latinx or Hispanic. But Jerry, for you, why should someone from a less diverse area of the state care that it is Hispanic Heritage Month? Latino roots go back to Georgia's founding. So I think everybody should care about our Latin ancestry and, and celebrate our connection to the Latino culture. Mario, for you, Mundo Hispanico has a regional reach. How would you answer that question? I feel really proud to be part of the Hispanic community, especially this month, because finally in the United States, somebody recognized the good things we are doing for this country. And honestly, I'm really proud to be part of the Hispanic community. Representative Lopez, how about you? What does it mean to have that designation of Hispanic Heritage Month? This is something that Black History Month fought for years to be recognized. Absolutely. So I remind folks um, that live in Villarrica that their name tells them about their historical um, creation of Hispanic Latinx um, heritage, even before we saw the increase of population that we now perceive as the Hispanic Latino community. And ultimately, right, as was mentioned before in your introduction, the labor source from both retail services, agriculture, particularly as you mentioned outside of Metro Atlanta, is and has been for decades um, based on the Latino and Hispanic um, markets that are available in those communities, and they thrive economically because of that labor source. And now we're looking at Gwinnett County, which became majority minority in 2010, and which many do consider as a bellwether for how demographics are shifting in Georgia and the U.S. in general. Spanish speakers and their kids had a lot to do with that. Nuri, I'm wondering for you, this is the national conversation about how Latinos tend to focus on immigration, but a big part of why Georgia is diversifying is babies growing faster than any other demographic groups for for Latinx and Hispanic populations. American-born children are citizens, obviously. You educate quite a few of them in Gwinnett County. What does your student population look like? Just this year, we are side-by-side with our African-American numbers, uh, and so Gwinnett County as a whole is 
one of the most diverse districts in the nation. And we're proud to be able to offer resources and information um, and access to all of the resources to help all of our students thrive, including our Hispanic Latino students. Representative Lopez, you work out of Norcross and represent folks in that county in Gwinnett. How, how has that changed over the past decade or two? Oh, there's been tremendous change um, in Winnet County as population growth um, has gone exponentially from as um, as early as 30 years ago from a little bit over 100,000 in population to now we're probably going to hit, if not right, be right under a million in population with this new census. Jerry, the Census Bureau does use the term Hispanic for people who identify as having come from a Spanish-speaking country. How about Latinx? This is a term that uh, has become a term of art in the last couple of years. What does it mean? The intention behind Latinx is to ensure, to provide uh, a descriptor for folks that's not gender uh, gender biased. So not Latina or Latino. Not Latino or Latina, but it's uh, Latinx. And it is also... Uh, the millennial generation and younger have really embraced that term, and that's really a term that's uh, that's grown in influence in the Latino community. Uh, so we use that interchangeably as well. So what ethnicities are represented here in Georgia, people from a lot of different Spanish-speaking and Latinx-identifying countries? The majority of the population of Latinos in Georgia are of Mexican descent. Uh, second population would be probably Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. By a long shot, it looks like about almost 60% Mexican and just uh, under 10% Puerto Rican. Correct. But I know you all are from different places, and I'd love to hear more about where you come from. In fact, Mario, you're from El Salvador, right? That's right. The average American may not know so much about that country. So where is it to educate us, and how would you say its culture and norms differ from the U.S.? When I came to U.S. 15 years ago, I remember streets like Before Highway and Jimmy Carter. You can find several Hispanic people over there. But now, at this moment, wow, it looks like, a, like a, honestly, like in El Salvador. You can find Hispanic people everywhere. And it's good to know because you can, you can find very good food. You can find people speak like you. When I came, the consulate from El Salvador told me, probably in Georgia, we have a 50, 10, 10 or 15,000 Salvadorians. Mm -hmm. Right now, I believe it's the, the double of the numbers. As I Jerry say, the most of the people live here is from Mexico. But you can find people from everywhere, everywhere now. So South America is incredible. We are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month with a couple of folks here. Representative Brenda Lopez Romero. Mario Guevara is senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico. Nuri Castillo Crawford, director of Hispanic program for Gwinnett County Schools. And Jerry Gonzalez, he's executive director of Galeo. Mario mentioned earlier that he finds his comfort zone on Buford Highway, and he's not the only person. It's kind of a united nations of food and a super popular lunch and dinner spot for people from Georgia all around of all backgrounds. Jerry, how does food serve as a kind of door to people who may not know Spanish, but are opening themselves up, certainly, to knowing about another culture? I think that certainly is a great way in to learn about culture because you learn about their agriculture, you learn about how uh, they prepare their meals, how they get together with family, and how that's really important uh, in, in 
in sharing meals with with one another any gathering that's that happens within the latino community there's always food involved and there there's a variety of food involved food does bring people together it's a great way in i think of learning about different cultures. Okay, so let me ask a little bit about the rest of you. Nuri, you're from Peru. I want to bring you in on the empanada question, which is very, <laughs> very big thing here, the popular in your, your birthplace in El Salvador, Argentina, other countries. What are they and how do they vary? I have a lot of experience eating empanadas because I love them. <laughs> um, uh, well, Peru has won repeatedly in recent years culinary awards. Empanadas usually have steak in them, onions, a little bit of tomato because it's kind of like you fry up all the meat and the onions and tomato and the salt and pepper, a little bit of garlic, maybe a little bit of a red pepper, just to give it a little spice. You've but really thought this one through. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I know. I love Peruvian food. So I, if you ask me anything about food, I, I'm good at it. So I should ask, since I asked about the empanada... Best tacos in Georgia. Do you care to pick that up, Representative Lopez? At my mom or my dad. <laughs> <laughs> You're different. How about for you, Mario? Your your food. I know papusas. Papusas were the big thing. Are the big thing. And, and tamales too. Tamales too. It's different. Yeah, but pupus different. Tamales from El Salvador are really different in compared with Mexico tamales. But uh, I believe the papusas is exclusive for us. You know, uh, pupusas you can you can find. Everywhere here. Uh, some Mexican restaurants, they already have pupusas to sell to the people because some people from Mexico, they ask for pupusas. Uh, I, I love that. But uh, as a Brenda say, my favorite pupusa is from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. And that will guarantee that you will probably get many more. People who did not ace the world geography and cultures may not know about some of these countries. For you, Representative Lopez, you came to the U.S. from Mexico when you were five, yeah? Yes, that's correct. So so you might not remember living there, do you? Not most definitely. I don't remember living there. Um, as I got older, um, towards my high school years, um, when I was able to go back and travel, I, I have. Precisely because I did not grow up in Mexico, but I understand that that's um, the, the place of birth and of national origins for not just myself, but also for my parents, I looked at it from more of an ancestral historic and, and civilization aspect. And the fact that Mexico is not Mexico based on its current geo um, geopolitical borders, mm -hmm. right, or it's even its current um, government, but rather, I'm always interested in the fact that all of the Latin American uh, countries come from thousands and thousands of uh, years of history of civilizations. And I think that we forget um, to make sure that we highlight that our history extends far beyond our current understanding of a Hispanic or Latino culture, but rather it's rooted in uh, very strong civilizations that were um, the top of humanity um, during their time of power. Well, certainly during historical months or these kind of observations, it's it's helpful to have a person, people, to figures to focus on. And if there is somebody that you would like to introduce from Mexican history to Americans, do you have an idea who that would be? I would say Emiliano Zapata, my, my father's namesake, um, Emiliano, um, is also Emiliano. So um, that person has always been a strong figure in my in my dad's recollection of, of his home country. I think he's 
when I was especially younger was important because just similarly as I grew up in Georgia and was educated in our civil rights movement and historical icons such as um, Martha Luther King and Rosa Parks and Malcolm X, um, Emiliano Zapata for me in terms of my national origin history represented someone that fought for justice and equality and the availability of um, resources and land, especially for those that were most disenfranchised by the colonization. During the Mexican Revolution. That's correct. Well, we do not have anyone from Puerto Rico in the group. They are, of course, U.S. citizens, so that's a good place to open with a cultural understanding. Cell phones and cash here in the States would also work there. And you certainly don't need a passport to get there. So anyone want to chime in? What is something about Puerto Rico that the average Georgian may not know? Puerto Rico is a beautiful island uh, with great uh, warm people, great food as well. Many Puerto Ricans are also living in Georgia in particular, especially after the devastating uh, hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Nuri Castillo Crawford of Gwinnett Schools, Mario Guevara with Mundo Hispanico, Jerry Gonzalez of Galeo, and Representative Brenda Lopez Romero. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and listen to some Jose Jose, who died sadly only recently. We don't have time to dash out for lunch at Buford Highway, but we will be back with our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month in just a moment. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Georgia is home to nearly one million Latinos and is among the top 10 states with the largest Hispanic populations. Records from the Latin American Association show the Peach State's Latino population grew by 96 percent between 2000 and 2010. Well, National Hispanic Heritage Month wraps up in just a couple weeks. So today we are talking about the contributions of Hispanic and Latino Americans to the country's heritage and history and culture. With me today are Nuri Castillo Crawford. She's a board member for the Georgia Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents. Also state representative for District 99 in Gwinnett County, Brenda Lopez Romero and Mario Guevara. He's senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico. And also with us is Jerry Gonzalez. He is the founder and executive director of the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials, or GALEO. Now, full disclosure here, Representative Lopez is running for Congress, and we are going to talk about elections in general. But since we don't have time to interview all of our opponents, we are not going to talk about the coming election specifically. Jerry, before the break, we talked a little about the diversity within Georgia's Hispanic population. The Pew Research Center says 69% of Hispanic voters are Democrats, 27% call themselves Republicans, and their turnout spiked last election. How much did they turn up at the polls in Georgia? Well, I think uh, in the last midterm election, uh, Georgia's Latino voters uh, tripled. Uh, in 2018 as compared to other previous uh, midterms. And in fact, Latino voters in Georgia have outpaced the national Latino voter participation rates in the last several presidential cycles. So the Latino voter in Georgia is one that's younger, one that is uh, more engaged, and one that is more likely to turn out than the national Latino voter. And more likely to vote Democratic? There's uh, no specific data in Georgia specifically about the breakdowns, but they 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 the polling has generally trended in, in similar similar pas- fashions. 
Representative Lopez, I'm going to ask you about this because it's just in 2003 that State Representative Pedro Marin of Duluth was elected, one of the first Hispanics in state legislator. And he told the Atlantic magazine that after he was elected, somebody filed a complaint that called him a, quote, Mexican federal government agent infiltrated into the Georgia General Assembly. Now, this is despite the fact that he's actually of Puerto Rican descent. And he'd never even been to Mexico. So curious for you, what is it like for Hispanic lawmakers under the Gold Dome these days? Well, um, that's an S too much because there's only two of us. But in terms of um, any prior experiences um, as Representative Marin had, for me, it has been more of what we see as, you know, subtle I can't say that there's been any sort of overtness. Um, as you mentioned, um, it's actually been a little bit different now with a congressional run in terms of some of those issues, in terms of the traditional concerns that people of color usually have when they're told to wait your turn or maybe this isn't a good fit for you, which ultimately is um, very concerning when no one can give you exact reasons why you um, aren't qualified for a seat, for mm-hmm. example, or why you ought not be running for, for a certain seat. And so so um, th- that's sort of been more of my experience. It's been very collegial. Sometimes, you know, one of the things that I commonly said is that everyone at the General Assembly has been very superficially nice. But again, sort of how policies and procedures and the type of legislation that we see and how people ultimately vote don't necessarily vote in, in a way that is um, good for the state of Georgia and the diverse communities, all diverse communities that live in the state of Georgia. So I always try to tell folks that there's a huge difference between how people may treat you and then ultimately how they will, in fact, vote or not vote um, for your interest. Well, let's talk about the changes in Gwinnett County in particular. It's one of the most diverse places in the country right now. But it was just last year that it got its first non-white commissioners and the school board got its first minority member, Everton Blair. Nuri, how big of a deal were those elections? Uh, I think it's a big deal, not just for Latino or people of color, but representation does matter. And those small, even though it might seem like a small thing, I think that those things mean a lot for our children, help our children see beyond their current circumstances and be able to see Maybe if maybe they had a dream one day of being a politician and then they see it come to fruition in their own district, then they 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 see like, oh, it is reachable. So for me, it's helping plant seeds for children so that they can see beyond their current circumstances. But 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 let's be very clear uh, in general, Gwinnett County has not embraced the diversity. Uh, it took a lawsuit uh, that we filed against both Gwinnett County Board of Education as well as the Gwinnett County Commission because they, they, they gerrymandered the districts to purposefully dilute uh, minority populations' voting strength in Gwinnett County. Gwinnett County Sheriff uh, currently has, uh, in partnership with Immigration 287G, that doesn't reflect the interests of the Latino or immigrant population in, in Gwinnett County. So, yes, there's been progress made, but... Leadership also needs to make sure that they hold those uh, accountable for these types of policies that are not addressing the diverse needs of, of Gwinnett County. Uh, we need to make sure that we, we we're addressing that and holding people accountable to that. What was and I second that precisely because of what I mentioned earlier, right? Just because we have had this demographic shift, that does not mean that we have had that shift in the power structure. And those that formerly um, or 
formally and currently continue to make the decisions and the policies are not representing, again, the interests and the values of the diverse communities that now exist in the state of Georgia generally, but very much specifically within Metro Atlanta, where we've seen the largest population growth and largest um, population shift. And that is not only for the diverse communities in those areas, but the fact that even the type of people that live in Metro Atlanta, you know, are all predominantly transplants, right, from Mm -hmm. other places that bring other values. Values and we have not seen those changes in the policies, like I said, like I mentioned, right? Um, so solely being elected um, and having rep- that representation absolutely matters, especially for the youth. But we haven't seen um, that translation yet completely in policies and the. Th- um, changes that we have seen haven't come naturally from the elected officials, but rather has really come from advocacy and litigation. Uh, let me let me let's put a pin on that because I want to talk about the values. But the translation thing is actually a literal place where there was a push. Galeo asked for Gwinnett County to offer voting materials in Spanish. Uh, the Board of Registration said no, basically. Now, um, the federal government did mandate that they had to do it. And Mario, you report in Spanish. So what has your experience been with the language regularly using it in Georgia? I mean, do you have anecdotes from people who just don't want to hear it? I personally live in Gwinnett County. Um, when I remember when I moved to Gwinnett from the Cal, I saw the big sign in the 85 that say Gwinnett is a big place, better place for to live. And it's true, it's a good place. It's safe in compared with others. But if you are talking about immigration there, it's really hard for the family from, especially from Latin America. They are, they are suffering a lot because basically only a small infraction. I, I, doc- I have been documented several cases from people who, who was crossing the street in, dif- in areas not for pedestrian, and the police requested the, the, the ID for a, get them a ticket because they don't able to provide a ID from Georgia. They have been arrested, and they are deported for a small infraction. Normally, they deserve a warning, you know, or something like that, but uh, it's really hard, especially because when the people are arrested and deported, Behind them, you can find a family. Right. I went to different homes, apartment complex. Uh, I, I have personally, as a reporter, I had to be neutral, but it's really hard to listen to a mother crying because my husband is in jail for three months, four months. I don't have money for pay the rent because he's the only who provides for everybody in the home. You know, it's a story like that. I covered basically two or three per week. I have a very good uh, relation with the authorities, sheriff and the, the local police. I sometimes I tell them because they ask me. I sometimes I, I tell them what the people believe because I remember one case. The one guy was victim of robbery, mm-hmm. armed robbery, and he told me, "No, I prefer to lose five hundred dollars rather than go to the police." Exactly, mm-hmm. because I can I can gain the money again, but it's, if they deport me, I will be I, I will have to pay. 15,000 for came back, but probably I will die in the Rio Bravo, you know. It's really hard, a story like that, you know. It's really hard because, you know, it's people is working, the most of the people. I know we have criminals everywhere in different communities, but the most of the people, they are workers. They are good workers, and they only came here 
to try to have a better life for their family, for their kids. And everybody has the right to do this, I believe. Mario Guevara is with us. He is senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico. Also with us, Representative Brenda Lopez Romero from District 99, Nuri Castillo Crawford, director of Hispanic program for Gwinnett County Schools, and Jerry Gonzalez. He's founder and executive director of Galeo. And I would love to get to that because, you know, Mario, you've covered a load of those stories on immigration and reports that non-criminal arrests, like crossing the street, you said, by ICE and those in Atlanta, in the area, tripled in 2017. Now, people who support these efforts and argue that immigrants are breaking the law just by being in the U.S. without permission, that's one argument. So how many arrests are made? Do we know, Jerry? Do you have any data on this? Again, we, we need to look at the totality of the of the question here. Uh, what exactly are you talking about the laws being broken? Uh, traffic violations are minor uh, criminal, minor infractions that should not lead to deportation. Uh, unfortunately, the vast majority of the the arrests that have happened and deportations that have happened in counties that have 287G program like Cobb County, like Gwinnett County and Hall County, those arrests uh, lead to deportation. And, and really and truly, they should not. We're, uh, we don't consider somebody speeding on the highway or, or driving without a license uh, a, a hardened criminal. Uh, and that's really the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, if you will. I do also want to add, so I am attorney, that's my, my mm-hmm. as a professional background, and when we start talking about what is, you know, criminal and what is breaking the law, um, I do always remind people that if you're speaking about just the civil violations of either coming without authorization or coming with a visa, which the vast majority of the people that are undocumented actually um, come to the country legally and then overstay the mm-hmm. visas that they came in with. Um, so that's also something that's always not, you know, not addressed. But that being said, said, all immigration violations in whichever capacity that comes in are actual civil violations. So they're, in fact, not violating criminal law. So that if you want to say that for the fact that someone is here without authorization, whether they came with or without uh, in their initial entry point, nonetheless, their presence here in the United States does not violate any criminal statute. Um, and so that that in, in itself would be incorrect then to say that simply someone's um, presence here without authorization does not imply actually any law being broken in terms of criminal issues, right? So then when we get to the context of being arrested, um, I tell folks at that point, technically, yes, anyone in the state of Georgia, this is not true in all states, but in the state of Georgia, all traffic um, violations are under our criminal code. But if anyone has had any traffic citation, um, including obviously all U.S. citizens, then I'm as was basically mentioned by Jerry, I hardly think that any U.S. citizen that has had a traffic citation considers themselves a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, they have broken criminal law. Um, so so that's, you know, the nuances about this language, right? And so the really the utilization of the label criminal is really a way to dehumanize the population instead of really talking about whom you really do intend to provide public safety. And that public safety issue is important, and we do need to utilize whatever law enforcement um, resources we have to protect all of us from actual and real crime and not simply use um, or misuse the labels of crime and criminality as a way to basically make us less safe through the fact that a vast majority of people in this situation are afraid um, to 
to come forward and report crimes. And that is not an issue just solely to them as the victims of the crime, but that is an issue to all of us, especially, you know, if you want to think of us as U.S. citizens, um, that if we have someone that's committing crimes, they're out there. They're going to target anybody and everyone, whether or not you're undocumented. And so that is a problem for general society. And this is not just an issue isolated to um, those that might be unauthorized. Well, Georgia is now the seventh in the nation for deportations for you know various different things, whether it's picked up on these kind of these kind of crimes. I'm going to put that in air quotes that you're talking about. And it's a very painful situation can arise when children are citizens and their parents are not. And there are these four separations that have been a huge issue in the last year and a half in the United States. Nuri, I'm wondering... How how many employers have been taken to jail for hiring undocumented immigrants? I do not know Georgia's Georgia's agricultural industry, the number one industry for our state, produces $16 billion in gate value annually. About 75, it's estimated about 75% of the agricultural workforce is undocumented immigrants. Uh, so there's one thing to say about uh, picking on the immigrant, but really and truly, I think Georgia as a whole benefits greatly because of the immigrants that are here providing that much needed labor to make a $16 billion industry thrive. Uh, that that uh, takes chicken and agricultural products all over this this world. Really, it's because of immigrants that that is possible. And, and that's to, and to be specific, it's because of undocumented labor. Yes, right. Just to for us to be sure of what we're saying, I do tell people that if you like to eat and you've ever eaten in your life, you've been benefited from undocumented labor. How about the argument that they are undercutting American jobs, that they are being hired for cheaper labor, they're doing jobs that people may not want to do? When Georgia passed the law in 2011, uh, the the Show Me Your Papers version, uh, there were crops rotting in the field. There was high unemployment at that time, but Georgians, regular Georgians, weren't taking those jobs because they're difficult jobs. Immigrants were willing to take those jobs, but there was a scare in 2011 that, that we'll remember, and they could not get enough workers to come into the fields to pick the crops that were rotting uh, on the vine. So Georgia does not want to go through that. And the reality is uh, the political rhetoric will say all these things against the immigrants, but they'll never target the employers. We're talking about workers right now, but nationwide immigrants are about twice as likely as non-immigrants to start their own businesses. Uh, And as new businesses account for most of the job growth in this country, I'm wondering about this for you, Nuri. You are educating this next generation. Yes. Many of the people who you who are in these schools were born in the U.S. They have citizenship, but their parents may not. Just wondering how all of that plays out, educating this new class of entrepreneurs, and then the idea of many of them actually separated from their parents. Yeah, so it's a great privilege to be able to help mold the kids, guide them, and and help instill power and empowerment in them and and not only because of being Latino, but also because I tell them that their superpower is being bilingual and bicultural and biliterate. Um, And you're talking about starting a business. I launched uh, 1010 Publishing, which is a company that we publish bilingual books because I believe in biliteracy and bilingual. Um, And I want um, my community, and especially our kids, only because I work with kids mostly, but I want my community to feel empowered with the assets that they do have and I tell them don't 
you know, don't forget your Spanish. Even if you have to speak Spanglish, it's okay. Um, and, you know, just kind of relate to them and help them uh, understand the power in being, uh, like I said, bilingual, biliteral, and bicultural in, in this world, and especially in the U.S. and in the growing number of opportunities that they can have by being bilingual um, and with our with our children um even if they're undocumented, we try to support them by providing them access to information on how to become an entrepreneur if they choose not to go to college or technical school afterwards. Nuri Castillo Crawford of Gwinnett Schools, Mario Guevara with Mundo Hispanico, Jerry Gonzalez of Galeo, and Representative Brenda Lopez Romero. Stay with us. We're going to head into a quick break, but we're listening to Mario's Pick for Music. This is Vicente Fernandez with El Rey. Stay with us as we recognize Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm Virginia Prescott. This is On Second Thought. We're back with On Second Thought from GBB. I'm Virginia Prescott, and this is Selena with Bidi Bidi Bom Bom. As we mark Hispanic Heritage Month here at On Second Thought, we managed to connect with a group of Georgia's top Latino leaders, including Jerry Gonzalez, founder and executive director of Galeo. Also with us, Mario Guevara. He's senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico. Nuri Castillo Crawford, she's a board member of the Georgia Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents and state representative for District 99 in Gwinnett County, Brenda Lopez Romero. All right, so Nuri, you were talking a little bit about your background. You've written actually a children's book about traveling thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. What are you trying to communicate to kids who are coming from Two different languages, two different traditions here in the United States. Right. Uh, so, yeah, my children's book is bilingual. Uh, it's 3,585 miles to be an American girl. And the whole narrative is really about a little girl who's lost uh, and can't find her place. Um, and at the end of the book, she finds strength in being bilingual, bicultural. Uh, and that is the message that I try to instill every single day to every student, you know, of course, Latino kids, but all students to just be happy with who they are and, and love themselves. Uh, and with the Hispanic mentoring priority, um, I, I tell the kids, um, you can't love Anyone else, including your community, you won't be able to support your community and your family until you find strength within yourself and love for who you are. Mario, you have kids inside of the Gwinnett County Schools, yeah? That's right. Is there, have they ever talked about being, you know, told that they don't belong there or they don't fit in? Uh, I have a good example of this, and the authorities, my friend, they know about this. Uh, it's happening seven years ago. Uh, you know, my wife' uh, driver license expired because uh, we we were expecting for the new work permit from the government, but they sometimes they have delays, and the work permit didn't came for three or four months, I think, and the license was expired. Um, the Winnet County officer pulled over here for a breaking tag light, 
Um, she called me immediately. I, I went to the place. She was with my two kids behind. I explained to the officer, officer, look, I have the paper from immigration. We are waiting for a new work permit. Uh, please get her a ticket and we, I will pay the ticket because she is guilty for a license expired and the tag. But she said, no, he said, no, I will arrest her. You know, he, she was arrested in front of my kid and the kid was crying. I tell the kid, don't worry, I will come back with your mom soon in a couple hours. Don't go, don't worry, uh, because I, I, I know what, what the situation Well, But my son, all the time, all the life, he said, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a police officer. But when, we when, we, when he saw her mother arrested in front of him, he, he completely changed his mind. Mm. I tell my friends from the police, hey, look. Boys like like him, they don't they don't need to change their mind. It's good they, they want to serve in the authorities. They want to serve in the fire department. It's good, but when they change their mind because it's it's a bad image for the for the authorities. I don't like that. I'm trying to convince my boy. It was a mistake. It's not a. They are not bad. They are not. They are the authority. We have to respect and we have to love them. I I am trying to learn, but my boy he changed his mind completely. I tell the chief of the police one time with this, oh, he said, oh, tell your boy, I apologize. Uh, he came to the apartment, he came to going to the patrol to try to, to change his mind, but it's impossible, you know. Uh, things like that happen frequently in the, in the Hispanic community. Yeah. I was going to tell an example. I remember this was several years back now. I can't recall exactly, but... I remember so in, in terms of the spider population, right, sometimes how um, communities, and this happens a lot with, with minority communities, is how they as a whole are made to feel like they are a problem or mm -hmm. the problem. And so um, this came from um, Norcross High School, where it had been at the beginning where there was that shift of a larger um, Latino um, student population in Meadow Creek, Norcross High School. And what had happened in, in Norcross is they sent out a letter to all parents saying that the reason that they've dropped down in their um, in all of their testing was because of the Hispanic students in their school. Wow. And and the fact that this is how you present this information, you know, to, to your student population and to your parents, you know, is, is a good example of uh, why um, when there's that disconnect about how property, properly to take care of all your student population. I'm just absorbing that right now. I'm a little stunned. I would love to dig into that because Mario is just giving us an example of how things have become very us and them. His son, who once wanted to be a police officer, shifts his mind and says, I don't want any part of that. And that is indicative of how our social and political dialogue or lack thereof is happening. People retreat to their corners. So how is progress made inside of any of these issues that you say people need to be talking about when people identify or ally with one? side or the other. Maybe. I think some of that mindset is literally taught at home. When I've been sharing my book at different schools across the country, I literally had one incident uh, where a little boy wore this infamous red hat and the teacher came up to me. One of the teachers came up to me and she started apologizing. And I said, that's okay. He's just a child. And she said, he's never worn that before. And I don't know. His parents knew that you were going to be here. I don't know why he wears that today. And I said, it's okay. And so, but I feel like I'm not saying I changed his whole perception or mind. But at the end, when I told him about the story and how scary it was about being a new kid in class, it kind of helped it be relatable 
at the end, he did come and ask me questions. If, if I could add, uh, we, we shouldn't uh, make light of the environment that we're in. It is very much us and them. Uh, El Paso domestic terrorist attack against the Hispanic community was really, I think, a watershed moment for us uh, that really crystallized for many of us about the white nationalism that's coming from the White House, uh, both in policies and rhetoric. Uh, and I think that, that we're, we are in dangerous times where this type of rhetoric pushes people to commit violent acts against our own community members. Uh, so it, we, we have to be careful with, with what the environment is. Uh, but uh, again, I, I blame a lot of what's, what's being stoked. Some of, the st some of that type of divisive rhetoric is coming from the White House, unfortunately. And it is, it is not putting, it, has, it is not bringing Americans together, it's dividing Americans apart. Uh, and that's that's part of the problem that we have to have. We call it we have to call it out for what it is. It's racist, white nationalist policies and and rhetoric that's that's really dividing this country. But we should note that really started rising in the middle of the Obama administration, perhaps in response to the Obama administration. You know, the racism that be, was latent suddenly had a voice. Racism so. has always been a part of the fabric of this country. White nationalism has always been a part of this country. Uh, yes, there was an increase because uh, of us electing a black president, but it's it's inherent in this in this country's fabric that racism has, has been a part of that. Yeah. And I agree with um, with the fact that it has been part of the history of, of our country. And, and we have to acknowledge that only so that we can move and continue to push against it. Right. I, I do tell folks and I do remind folks that racism and prejudice did not start in 2016, nor was it first um, shown in, in, in that time. So absolutely, it is part of the our experience here in this country. But as what Nudi was saying, the only way that I have found is to be able to talk to people and share stories. And as you mentioned early to, to another question regarding the not pitting one group against another or one issue against an, another issue. And, and to be specific, for example, um, I always say and, right? We can both support and appreciate because we do our law enforcement and also hold any individual person accountable by using the, their position in law enforcement and to ensure that the policies do not promote racial profiling, um, that do not cause um, an, an escalation that we have seen with shoot with the fact that statistically brown and and black especially males have a higher incidence of um dying at the hands of law enforcement and that's just a fact right um but again by being able to state that fact that by no means do you diminish the importance and the value of our law enforcement community we need to have both conversations and not allow um particularly through bad messaging um for us to pit one against the other because they're not they're actually mutually necessary and important to have as a discussion. But you are representing, right, you're a lawmaker, right? You're serving a whole district, people who have a lot of different opinions inside of that that realm. Voters often see all levels of governments paralyzed by divisiveness. So how do you see the General Assembly acting together? We're talking about sort of how do people work together? How do we big, build bridges for the betterment of the whole state? Well, what, one of the things that I mentioned, right, all of us represent districts, um, unless you are a statewide elected official. Um, but nonetheless, for example, 
in the General Assembly, we're voting on statewide legislation, despite the fact that I might represent, um, come from District 99, I have to take a look at issues that affect our whole state. And when I think about a piece of bill, I think about not only um, what happens in House District 99 or in Winnett County or in Metro Atlanta, but how is this good for us generally in the state of Georgia? And there might be some issues that maybe only relate because of regional geography or regional industry to another area of Georgia. But nonetheless, if that's important, for example, when we had the need for um, ex expanding the, um, the Savannah port, um, which ultimately, even though we see that as a regional um, use of resources through, through funding, ultimately is a benefit for everyone throughout the state. And that's how I consider policy and decision making as it relates to the bills that we have. But um, on the second part of that question, again, the only way that I know how to is having conversations with people. And I've had um, the opportunity now to have lots of, you know, I, I run as a Democrat and um, speaking to my Republican colleagues in the in the House. And so, but nonetheless, with those conversations over the years, this had didn't happen overnight, but definitely because of the advocacy organizations that have pushed for the last, um, I would say, two decades, um, have built slowly but surely better relationships where at a minimum um, we have been able to block legislation from moving forward, not necessarily by the votes, but rather by simply having those conversations and those relationships and also increasing the turnout and the ad and the um, voter advocacy, right? Because if, uh, if elected officials start seeing that they may or may not be elected based on those decisions, um, they strongly start reconsidering their positions. Mario, I'm just going to end with you because you are writing for a Spanish-speaking population. You are representing their needs. And that is that can be its own kind of bubble, right? You know, you can get into your own sort of isolated universe. How, are you, how do you think about kind of building those bridges? I was thinking of all the things my, my, my friend here that said about immigration, especially in Gwinnett. And they, that is right. That is true. I, I know a lot of people from uh, Latin America, and they think like a Republican. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of people who think like a Democrat. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, everybody has a right to, to think like they, like they want. But talking about the the issue in Latin America here, in, in the changes here in, the, in Gwinnett County, for example, I can, I can tell all your audience uh, one of the main things is how the White people, I listen about supremacy, white supremacy, I listen about racism, but I personally, I personally, I don't, I never feel like uh, I, has, I have been discriminated in, in Georgia. Uh, but I, I, I was, I was before in white supremacist protest here. Um, I know the racism exists. It's, it's sad. It's sad because we are in century 21. It's, it's incredible to, to see something like this here. Um, but, I, well, I have to tell you, when I was a kid in El Salvador, I remember when the American people came to El Salvador with donation for mm -hmm. everyone. In my mind as a boy, this is the image I create in my mind about the, the American people, the white people. Wow, they are really good. They are generosity. They are humanity with others. Wow. It's, this is the, the same image I want to keep in my, my heart for forever, you know. And when I see people from the United States... I, I remember the good things they made for us, for the poor people in El Salvador. Uh, when they came to give Bibles, when they came to give clothes for uh, people who live in a poor situation in El Salvador. I, this is the image I want to keep in my mind, my heart for, for, from Georgia and from the United States. And when I went to court in Atlanta, 
several times, not for cases for cases related to me, called for people who cover. I am covering stories. Mm -hmm. Wow, I can say, wow, did she, honestly, did judge, did judge, think like that? Wow, because the I I I, I listen word from the judges like they honestly don't pay attention to the needs to others. For for example, when in the as asylum cases, wow, people is coming because they are requesting asylum for because they pick they kill the the criminal kill people from their family in their countries, and the judge say literally say oh but it happened five years ago you can come back now wow it's incredible because you can feel really this the judge thing like like um, death has expiration or something like that wow it, I can imagine it. Uh, People thinking like that, but they are judged. They are in a very high position, you know. Um, but I think they are not the majority. I think the majority of the people is, I went to a church every week. And people from, uh, when, when we had campaign to help others from Puerto Rico, for example, when the hurricane passed, I remember churches, American churches donate several thousand dollars for help others i say wow this is the people this is the real american people the people who feel generosity for others uh in winnet personally i hope next year we have very good changes in georgia i hope we will have a very good change when brenda pedro and other hispanic people went to the uh, general assembly I was excited, happy, because I say, wow, it's my people there. Wow, they're my people. And, you know, the Hispanic people, we have uh, several values. We love the families. We are people. We are, we are together all the time, and we support each other. And this is when I, this is, I'm happy when I see the people growing, because we are not bad people in general. We are not bad people. Uh, hopefully, one day, the American people can understand everything about this. Mario Guevara, thank you so much. Thanks so much for inviting me. I, I'm, I'm really proud to be part of this. Uh, I, I have a, a very good sense about the American people. And this is, I, I, I want to be clear. I am here because I love this country. I'm here because um, I feel like the American people and me, I, we are brothers and sisters, you know. This is why I'm here. And this is the, the, same, the same sense of the old Hispanic community. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for being here, Mario. As senior reporter for Mundo Hispanico, Representative Brenda Lopez-Romero, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I always like to say it's important for us to recognize us as Americans that happen to be of Hispanic background. Thank you for saying that. And also Jerry Gonzalez, he's founder and executive director of Galeo. Thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Happy and, Hispanic Heritage Month. And to you as well. And Nuri Castillo-Crawford, thank you very much. Thank you. I love your show. Uh, happy Hispanic Heritage Month. And be sure to go out there and eat an empanada. Okay. Or a papusa. <laughs> tacos. Or some tacos. <laughs> Thank you all for speaking with me. And Feliz Mes de la Historia Hispana. That's the best I can do. And you can join La Fiesta. There are events taking place all over the state for Hispanic Heritage Month. The Gwinnett County Library is celebrating on October the 10th. There is also a free Latin festival taking place October 13th in Conyers. You can find more on these events at gbbnews.org. 
Want to let you know as well that I'm going to be all over the place next week at Pop-Up Zine on Tuesday night at Windmill Arts Center in East Point. And then on Thursday night, the 10th, I will be interviewing Malcolm Gladwell at the First Center for the Arts. We're going to be talking about his new book, Talking to Strangers. Then at the Boudlow Bryant Festival in Shelman, Georgia on Saturday the 12th. And back to talk with Rachel Maddow about her book called Blowout. That's going to be on stage at the Fox Theater in Atlanta on Sunday the 12th. Details there and ticket information, again, gpbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, LaRaven Taylor, and Jake Troyer. Our interns are Jessica Lowell and Alexis Thomason. Don Smith is our Dean of Grammar. Amy Kiley is Senior Producer. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for spending some time with On Second Thought. And we gave the last music pick to Nuri. This is Romeo Santos with Eliso.